I thank the Lockhart family for their ministry and song here this evening. It's always a great encouragement to the preacher uh, when the pieces presented in song very much tie in with the message which the Lord has given, and we rejoice in the Lord who is indeed above all. His tomb is empty, and He was willing to choose a cross because He cared for you and for me. So, thank you so much for your ministry here this evening. Thank you for the invitation to be with you here this evening also. It is good to be here tonight, and as no doubt others have done so, let me take the opportunity just to commend your minister, the session, committee, and you as a congregation for what you have accomplished here in building this preaching house for the Word of God and a place for the people of God to fellowship together for generations to come. You need to be commended for that. Any building program, as we'll see in a moment, includes a lot of stress. It also includes a lot of time and an awful lot of sacrifice. And certainly the time and sacrifice clearly has not been wanting from this church. And so may the Lord genuinely own this premises. May the Lord be pleased to glorify His name. I know that's your desire. I trust the Lord will extend His kingdom through this building the preaching of the Word, and to you as God's people, that you will be built up and that you will be blessed just by coming here and the Lord ministering to your soul. Let's have a word of prayer. Then I want to read a portion of God's Word with you and then leave some, several observations as the Lord would lead here tonight. Our Lord and our God, as we humbly bow before Thee, we take this moment, Lord, to pause and to call upon Thee for continued help. Lord, we have a preaching house here for the preaching of the Word, and as has been already the theme, the glorification of our Lord and our God, Father, Son, and Holy Ghost. We have no message, Lord, except Thee. We bring no other remedy than the cross and the goodness of our God. And as we assemble here this evening, we pray, Lord, that Thy name indeed would be glorified, that each individual would leave this building tonight with a clearer view of Thee, with hearts warmed toward Thee, with a deeper love and a broader appreciation of Thee and Thine offer of salvation. We pray this evening, Lord, for Your glory and for the good of every unsaved individual that they would not leave this house tonight without getting right with God, no longer delaying, no longer, Lord, putting it off, but with haste coming to the cross and bowing before the one who genuinely is above all. And so, Lord, tonight glorify thy name 
in this place. And Lord, we pray, Lord, for every heart. Make every individual ready to receive the Word now. We pray you'll take away every wandering thought and every distraction. Enable us, Lord, to discipline our minds and our hearts to take this half hour to contemplate and to meditate upon what thou hast said of thyself, that we might be taken away from time and sense and from the entertainment of the world to contemplate upon the one who is worthy of all glory and honor, our God and our Savior. So, Lord, give help not only to the preacher, Ah, Lord, the preacher needs help. He is but a man who is unable to have any positive effect upon any soul. But, Lord, we pray for every hearer that, O Lord, you enable us now not only to hear but to respond in a God-glorifying way to the portion of Scripture now to be read. Lord, be with us, not just here in Clocker Valley, but across our little land. Bless the preaching of the Word. Bless our services, every song that's sung tonight. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen and amen. Now, can I invite you then to take your copy of the Scriptures and turn with me to the book of 2 Kings, Old Testament, 2 Kings. And I want to take you to the chapter 6, just on a personal note, and I suppose it is in part why we were directed to this passage initially. Your minister is a well-organized man, and he had spoke to us a considerable length of time ago about your meetings, uh, primarily uh, because of the opening of the church hall in Now Harvest. And when uh, that phone call was made, this passage readily jumped to my mind. Uh, We are Uh, on a personal note, moving house ourselves and having to do some, uh, well, let's just say some work to a house to make it uh, suitable to move into. And there have been many occasions of great discouragement, as is the case in any building project. And there was one occasion I just prayed to the Lord, I need encouragement, I need direction here, and we need wisdom as we proceed with this move. And that very evening, in the providence of God, my daily readings was in 2 Kings chapter 6. And note these words, verse number 1, to my surprise, it said, And the sons of the prophets said unto Elisha, Behold, now the place where we dwell with thee is too straight for us. And that was our need for moving. And so it was most encouraging indeed. Verse 2 goes on to say, Let us go, we pray thee, unto Jordan. Now, we didn't go to Jordan to purchase a house. Now, we were able to say more local than Lauren, thankfully. But verse number 2, Let us go, we pray thee, unto Jordan. And take thence every man a beam. And let us make us a place there where we may dwell and he answered, Go ye. And one said, Be content, I pray thee, and go with thy servants. And he answered, I will go. So he went with them. And when they came to Jordan, they cut down wood. But as one was felling a beam, the axe head fell 
into the water. And he cried and said, Alas, master, for it was borrowed. And the man of God said, Where fell it? And he showed him the place, and he cut down a stick and cast it into in thither, and the iron did swim. Therefore, said he, take it up to thee. And he put out his hand and took it. Amen. We pray the Lord will bless the reading of His Word, and as we endeavor to bring some truths out of this portion, may the Lord bless our meditations. Now, on any occasion when you pick up the Word of God, it should be our continual, our habitual goal to read the Word and discover what it says about God. That should always be your goal when you're picking up the Scriptures. We're looking for His attributes and for His actions. By His attributes, I mean who He is. By His actions, I mean what He does. And so, when you pick up the Bible, you're looking for His attributes, who He is, His glory, His power, His wisdom, His magnificence. And the more you see of God in the Word, the more your heart will be thrilled with joy. That's 100% certain. But we're also looking for His actions, what He does, how He forgives, how He creates, how He acts in a loving way, and how He comforts His people. And so we read this text, 2 Kings chapter 6. Where do we see the attributes and where do we see the actions of God? How can we observe something about His glory and His goodness toward mankind? Well, that's what I want to look at with you here tonight. Here is a building program. And let's just survey exactly what's happening here. There is a theological school, if you like, I know many people would uh, challenge having a theological school for men to go and study, yet I find it clear in God's Word, not only here in Second Kings 6, but in the New Testament, the Lord took the disciples, the men who would turn the world upside down, and He schooled them for a period of time. The Lord took the Apostle Paul and schooled him for a period of time. There is undoubtedly room for a training time. And here you have a theological school for the sons of the prophets, and they have a great problem. It's a great problem. Look at verse number one. At the end of it, it says, the place where we dwell with thee is too straight for us. It's too small. It's not big enough. That's a good complaint. I pray that for all of our churches. And I would love to see that in our college as well, the need for expansion because there is such growth due to the blessing of God. Anyway, it is the decision of this group and their teacher, um, Elisha, to go and to build a new premises. And as they do so, they take their tools and instruments they obviously obtain new ground, and this individual begins to take this axe that he had and strike a tree. But unfortunately, the axe head fell off and went into uh, some water, and he was unable to get it. And therein lies the problem. 
You know, I must say, I have heard strange um, attempts to rationalize this text, to take away the miracle by suggesting that if you throw wood into water, it makes iron swim. That is not true when the wood is not attached to the iron. And that's the case here. I mean, the scuba divers who were trying to find the Titanic, all they had to do was throw in a tree, and it would have thrown it to the water if that principle works. Well, it doesn't. This was a miracle, a miracle of divine proportions, which God was pleased to do. So, that's the survey of the text. Now, what do we learn about God here, men and women? I put it to you tonight that we have here a particular powerful passage which declares in the most encouraging manner how God comforts. How God comforts. How do I come to that conclusion? Well, here was a man in great distress, and the Lord intervened And the Lord was pleased because He is interested in this nameless man. God so cared about this man that He was interested enough to come and to deal with the dilemma in which He finds Himself. And so here is the theme of what I want to present to you this evening, that our personal dilemmas become powerful demonstrations of God's goodness toward us. Our personal dilemmas so often become powerful demonstrations of God's goodness toward us. And that's what we have here. And there's a powerful word for the saint here and a powerful word for the unconverted. You may be here tonight and you come with many a burden. I would be surprised if there is any adult who comes here without a burden tonight. You've had another week, another year, or decades of striving, of all the problems which batter against the ship and endeavor to put us off course. There's not one room, not one person in this room without a burden tonight. I know that because you live in a fallen world. And here was a man who was burdened, but the Lord lifted his burden. And so we have a great God. Firstly, this evening, I want you to see the seriousness of the situation. We have summarized it for you. You know full well he lost his axe head. He was working hard, undoubtedly, swinging for all he was worth. And in one swing, I know what it's like to throw your instrument back, and all of a sudden, when you begin to thrust it forward, all of a sudden it's considerably lighter because the head is gone, and it's lying over there somewhere. Here's the problem, but if you read with me in verse number 5, you hear the problem because he explains it himself, this prophet, verse 5, but as one was felling a beam, the axe head fell into the water, and he cried and said, here's the problem, alas, master, for it was borrowed. And there's the problem. It wasn't his. It wasn't his axe. It was somebody else's property. Now, you and I today might say, that's no big deal, really, is it? Because for us, 
what, 15, 20 pounds, would buy you a new axe, shaft and all. And we can nip downtown or wherever you go for your supplies and grab an axe, no problem. But remember, these days were very different. An axe in those days, the raw materials would have been gathered and the material would be melted together to make the axe head. And then the shaft would have been, uh, well, taken off a tree, and it would have taken time for it to dry, and they would have had to have shaped it nicely, and then attach it. Let me tell you, this was a complete different field here. And the axe would have been very much expensive, and it didn't belong to him. It was borrowed. Not mass-produced, but individually made and hard and difficult, therefore, to purchase. Not only was it a loss to the man who had lost the axe head, but what about the person he bore it off? It's a bad reputation to get if you're a a borrower and you're not careful enough with the object you borrowed to give it back in the same uh, state that you took it. It's a bad reputation to have. It's a bad testimony. And here's this man. He's troubled. It's not mine. And this man, this friend, gave it to me in good faith and in good faith, and I can't give it back to him. And what about the man who loaned? That could have been his livelihood. He may have been a man who cut down trees for his livelihood, and the instrument he used is now gone. And so this man is genuinely distressed. There is the embarrassment of not being able to give back what he has been loaned. And so on multiple levels, this man is distressed tonight. And you can see, or rather you can read the anxiety in his voice. Look at verse 5 again. And don't miss the the sense of the words in verse 5. He says, alas, alas, master, alas, Elisha, for it was born. He's troubled. You can see his concern. You can see his anxiety. The man is genuinely overwhelmed right now. But you and I might just say, it's just an axe. And how often is it, men and women, you may be carrying a particular burden, and you might go and share it with someone. And when you share it with them, you see a smile erupting on their face. And they laugh, and they say, oh, what are you worried about? Catch yourself on. And it cuts you to the bone. And it leaves you feeling empty. Let me tell you, this man cried, Alas, master, for it was borrowed, and heaven heard. God didn't laugh. God was interested. And this man's little dilemma, even though you and I may wonder, what the concern actually was. You see, in this text, it cries, here is a God who cares for those who love Him, and our dilemmas become opportunities for God to demonstrate His greatness and His love toward us. So, I trust that shows you something of the seriousness of the situation. Let me show you, secondly, the simpleness of the answer. The answer was simple, wasn't it? We find it in verse number 6, and the man of God, Elisha. And the man of God, that's God's man, God's representative. And the man of God said, where fell it? And he showed him the place, and he, that's Elisha, 
cut down a stick. He wasn't scared to get his hands dirty. And he cut down a stick and cast it in thither, and the iron did swim. A very simple answer. And you can't help but read the life of Elijah and smile at times at the simplicity of the answers to every dilemma that he came across. Remember when he was on the other side of Jordan, he was following his now, uh, now passed away uh, teacher Elisha, Elijah. And when Elijah was taken into heaven, the mantle fell upon Elisha. If you're familiar with the Bible, you'll be familiar with that story. And of course, Elisha now had to get back over Jordan. That was okay for um, Elijah, for Elijah was able to strike the waters, and the waters opened, and Elijah went across with Elisha. But now Elisha's on the other side. How does he get back? Well, again, all he did was take his mantle, strike the water, and poof, the water separated. God provided his servant with a way, a simple answer to a complex problem. There was an occasion when there was bitter water, and the people came to Elisha, and they, they cried to him, the water is bitter, we can't drink it, we can't give it to our flocks, we can't give it to our children, we can't drink it ourselves, and we'll die for thirst. All they did was take a handful of salt, threw it in, and the waters were cured again. God did it. What about the time a child was unwell, desperately sick, and he lay beside the child, and the child was revived to life again? Men and women, here you have a man who had very simple answers to very complex problems. That's because he was being used of God. He was being used of God. And all of those simple answers became reminders for those people for the years to come as to how God can take their dilemmas and demonstrate His power thereby. For example, we just mentioned there the water's parting. Anytime any of Elisha's servants or people who witnessed that walked across the river, Jordan would remember the time that God and His power separated the waters as they'd done in the past. Every time they drink water from that pool that was bitter, and now it's sweet, they would be reminded of the time that God gave them water to drink. Every time that dear woman would lie beside her child, she would be reminded of the time when he did this, and the child was cured and helped. And let me tell you, for this, for this son of a prophet who lost his axe head in the water, any time this man would play poo stick with his child, I hope you know what poo stick is. It's when you take a wee stick, maybe you and a child, and you throw in your stick, and you run to the other side of the bridge, and you see whose stick comes out first. Any time you do that, you can remind your children of the occasion when God's servant threw a stick in the water, and God thereby demonstrated his power and helped the man in need. And that's exactly what happened here. The Lord's servant took a stick. He threw it into the water. Not that wood makes iron swim, but that would be a reminder to these people that God can step into your dilemma and demonstrate his power, giving these men faith and strength to go on. You see that all over the Bible. Remember when Lazarus was sick and ill, and a message was sent to the Lord, He whom thou lovest is sick. 
And what did the Lord do? He didn't do anything. He allowed them to continue in the struggle of watching their brother die. Why? Eventually that dilemma, the Lord would come and demonstrate His power in causing Lazarus to rise from the dead. God's answers are very much simple. And our dilemmas, He demonstrates His power. Let me address the believer here at this point. I'll come to the unbeliever in a moment. Dear believer, I want to encourage you to take your problems and your difficulties to God and know, first of all, that He cares about you. I don't care how insignificant it seems to everybody else. Should it be dropping your axe head in a pool of water? He's interested, and He's ready to hear your cry. And you pray for God to likewise demonstrate His power in your problem. I want to thirdly and finally show you the success of the situation. Look with me, please, at verse number 7. Verse 6 told us that the sticks were thrown in and the iron did swim. But verse 7 makes it very clear the relief, therefore, said he, take it up to thee. And he, the man who a moment ago was overwhelmed by burden and overwhelmed by concern, who said, alas, master, for it was borrowed, he put out his hand, and he took it. And can you sense the man's relief as he dipped his hand into the water, and he lifted out the axe head that seemed an insurmountable problem to him but a few moments ago? And now there's relief. There is no doubt wonder here at what the Lord had done for him, and joy, and as the others would have observed, how God was interested in their colleague's dilemma. This would have brought joy because the Lord intervened. Do you know what Elisha was like? Let's turn to it for a moment. Elisha was like the passage in Proverbs 25. And I trust God's house, this new house, will be like this to you. Proverbs 25. This is every Christian's prayer for ourselves that we would be this to the unconverted and to your brothers and sisters in the faith, something for you to pray about. Proverbs 25 and the verse 13, as the colds of snow in the time of harvest, as the cold of snow in the time of harvest, so is a faithful messenger to them that send him, for he refresheth the soul of his master. You can think of the hard work in harvest and how refreshing uh, the cold uh, snow would be to someone working hard, breaking sweat, struggling under the heat, and for something refreshing to come to them. How good it feels. And that's what Elisha was to this man. That's what God's intervention was to this man. It was like refreshing snow from heaven to help in the heat of the moment, in the heat of the day. Oh, to be like that believer in our little country to be refreshing to those round about us, 
believer. Perhaps tonight, providentially like this passage, you feel sandwiched in the world of big events. We'll not take the time, and I would encourage you to do it when you go home, but if you read the previous chapter, chapter 5, and if you read the following chapter, you will find massive events. You read of war, national war. You read of men with leprosy and big events happening. And in the middle of all these big events, you have sandwiched in the middle this wee man with a wee axe head. And maybe today you feel just like this man, sandwiched between many great events that are happening all around you, and God and the people of God are too busy to care about you, and your little burdens. Not true. If you were thinking tonight that God isn't interested in your little dilemmas, can I encourage you to take that lie, that dirty, filthy lie, and return it to sender, because the sender is the devil, and he's in hell. God cares about your burdens, dear believer, and you bring them to the Lord, and see Him demonstrate His glory through them now. For those of you in this meeting who are unconverted, and you're here tonight, Don't you have a dilemma? Absolutely. You may have financial dilemmas. You may have family dilemmas. But as big and all as they are, you have another dilemma tonight, which is infinitely greater than any of those things. And this is the dilemma. You're born in sin. And you've spent another year, and here we are, harvest time has come and gone. You have spent another year, unbeliever, and you know this because you're not perfect, and you know in your heart that you've spent months accumulating a debt for your sin that you cannot pay. And you're sitting here in God's house, a lawbreaker. And if you were to enter into God's eternity tonight and to stand before God, you wouldn't have a hope. Not a hope. That's your dilemma. And do you know what the answer of your dilemma is? The one who is above all tonight intervened again by using wood. He came to your dilemma and used a wooden cross. And by that wooden cross, He has demonstrated His magnificent love, His magnificent care. So don't you think tonight that God doesn't care about you? Because He does. And you cannot, you cannot read this book and blame God of not caring about you, because the opposite is true. You bring your dilemma to the Lord, your dilemma of sin, of imperfection, 
of striving to be good before God, but you can't do it. He can do it for you by justifying you, by changing you tonight. And let me tell you, like this man, when he reached under the water, he lifted out the axe head. What relief. What joy it would be in your heart today if you, as it were, reached into Christ and you found the joy of salvation. You too and those observing you round about would be filled with wonder of the greatness of God who cared enough to die and save you. And that is a possibility tonight. The Lord has provided a harvest for us. He's fed us. We sang earlier that He cares for the very birds that sing. He cares for you. Would you not come tonight? Bring your dilemma, saved and unsaved, and see what God can do to answer that dilemma tonight. I would bring you to the God who is indeed above all, whose glory is unparalleled, and whose love and power can thoroughly transform you and your life and your eternity. It is my joy this evening with some simple words to bring you to Him who is all together excellent and lovely, the Lord our God. Amen.